Ba -da 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 -da. It's time for the show. <laughs> Welcome back to the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast. I apologize for you having to hear my voice. But anyway, here we are. I'm Isaiah Leininger. Joining me today, as always, is our good friend Walker Howell. That's a little late of an apology. You know, like this is like episode 50. <laughs> and well, you know what? This is the first time that I've sung. So anyway, uh, but welcome back. Walker and I are glad that you're here. We're glad that, uh, that you've chosen to, to spend some time with us and, and God's Word, looking at uh, season three of this podcast where we're looking at doctrinal issues. Uh, we're, trying to, we're really trying to look at things, uh, uh, you know, worldly problems from a godly perspective. And so right now we're dealing a little bit less with that and more about things that divide the church, things that, uh, you know, we may misunderstand in the scripture and things that separate Christians and so we're trying to uh, we're, we're trying to make sure that we get uh, all of the the doctrinal issues that we can in this podcast. And so today we're going to be talking about the topics of baptism, sprinkling, and holy water. Uh, and to help us with that, we brought along our good friend Edison Bogus. Edison, go ahead and introduce yourself, if you please. Uh, hi, I'm Edison. Uh, I'm a uh, junior uh, Bible major here at Freed. I uh, do some part-time preaching at New Hope Congregation in Trenton, Tennessee, and uh, that's about all that's interesting about me. <laughs> well, uh, I think you're more interesting than that, but regardless, we're, we're glad to have you on to help us discuss this uh, this topic of baptism, sprinkling, and holy water. Uh, and really, all of those terms, what, what they have to deal with is salvation. And so before we get any further, we need to define that term to help us kind of lay the groundwork for the rest of the episode. Yeah, uh, salvation um, is one of those terms that uh, is really misconstrued among uh, especially the denominational world. Um, there's many different ways that people think that they can be saved. Um, and as we'll see from, as, as you may recall from the previous episode, I think the previous episode we discussed the nature of salvation. And so in that episode we discussed uh, the only way that you can um, be saved that Jesus outlined throughout New Testament way. John 14 and verse 6, he says that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to him, comes to the Father except by me. And so uh, Jesus clearly outlines that he is the way and that his way is the only way that you're going to be able to reach salvation. Um, and so if you want to learn more about salvation in that way, check out the previous episode over uh, salvation, and, um, and you can figure out uh, things there. Uh, <laughs> But also, dealing with salvation, the reason why we need salvation is because of sin. Um, we talk about sin a lot. We mention sin a lot because sin is the issue that we're all dealing with. And so, uh, I don't think it's uh, very hard to define sin. I could refer you back to the previous episode, like our, note, like our notes say. But I could also just define it here uh, right now. And that is whenever we do something wrong in the eyes of God. And that is sin. Um, we know what the Bible has to say regarding sin. We know that God hates sin. And we know that uh, God clearly outlines what is right, what is wrong. Um, now, there are some great areas within Scripture, but that's a whole other episode. Um, and there are some areas where you may be questioning, well, is this a sin? This is not a sin. If you're questioning that, then it's more than likely a sin, so don't do it. Um, and uh, there, there's your defining the term segment uh, within a few points. Uh, so do you have anything else to add, or did I? fix me in any way i think i think that pretty much sums it up like you said uh you know sin is the problem that all humanity suffers from mm -hmm. and the escape from that is through christ as you mentioned yeah. he is the way the truth and the life there's not multiple ways not multiple truths there's only jesus christ and his truth mm -hmm. uh which is truth right it's not there's not a difference between christ's truth and truth it's it's the same thing uh so, as we mentioned in the previous episode, the nature of salvation comes from baptism. But a lot of people still have a lot of questions about this. You know, a lot of people will, will say that baptism isn't essential. You know, that, that the key part is repentance, right? And that baptism is, is a phrase that I hear a lot is that baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. Or, you know, some people believe that you have to be baptized in order to be added to the local congregation. And so the question that we need to answer is, is baptism essential for salvation? Well, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in simple terms, yes. Um, we all, 
the reason why we're laughing here is because we all looked at one another and was like, okay, who's next? <laughs> and so in simple terms, yes, baptism is essential for salvation. And like Isaiah had said, you know, oftentimes, and I don't think that saying uh, <laughs> our producer just said we have to answer the question. Uh, so we answered the question. Um, but uh, like Isaiah said, a lot of people say that baptism is an outward uh, expression, um, and which is very true. And, you know, a, a lot of people may say, well, what's so special about, about baptism? Is it the water? Is, it, uh, is, is there something special in the water? Is there something that, uh, that the priest or the uh, preacher or whatever uh, you may be going to has to do? Um, and the answer is no. First Peter 3 and verse 21 clearly states that there's nothing special about the water. Uh, it is clearly just an act of obedience to God. Um, you're doing this because you are showing God uh, that you are willing to put to death your life of sin and be willing to raise to walk in newness of life. And we know that baptism is essential because of Mark 16, verses 15 through 16. And, of course, there's a lot of other verses we could turn to. Isaiah, you got something? Yeah, I was just going to point out the fact that, you know, baptism, it's not necessarily something that we would think of, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, some people may think of it, you know, as, as something not being worthy of what it's giving us, right? You know, you, you think of, you know, stories about like knights and Vikings and things like that who had to go on these epic quests to get whatever it is that they were wanting, uh, you know, filled with dangers and, and dragons and, you know, natural disasters and all of these things. But in, But the greatest quest of all, if we can call it this is is the walk of the christian is to be with god in heaven and baptism for some people it just seems so simple that it simply can't be the answer but as you said walker uh you know it's not the water that's special it's not even really the person who's getting baptized who's special it's the fact that god has specifically commanded this it's the fact that this is what god expects from us he could have expected anything because there's nothing that we could do to uh, remove our sins from ourselves. That requires a perfect being. And since we have sinned, we are not a perfect being. So the, 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 the problem that some people have is, you know, they, they don't understand that what, what's at play here. You know, they don't really understand what's working, what's going on. And, and so, uh, you know, what, what's... They, 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 they can't grasp, right? They, they can't grasp the fact that being fully immersed in water takes away your sins. And that's not an us thing. That's a God thing. That's what he has specifically required for us to do. We see that in passages like the first Timothy, or excuse me, the first Peter passage you mentioned earlier, like in the Great Commission and both at the end of Matthew and at the end of Mark. Every time we see someone being saved in the book of Acts, we see them getting baptized like the 3,000 at Pentecost, like the Philippian jailer, like Cornelius, like Lydia, like the Ethiopian eunuch, all of these were baptized. Why? Because in Acts 2.38, Peter says that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. That's the purpose of baptism. It's not an outward sign of an inward change. It's not, oh, I'm getting wet so I can be a member of this congregation. It's for the forgiveness of sins. So, yes, baptism is absolutely essential. Yeah, I would agree with everything Isaiah said. I'd also like to kind of build off of the point. I feel like that uh, one reason why, you know, we don't have to go on a grand physical quest in order to become saved, not only because, you know, it's not about uh, physicalness, it's about spiritualness, but also because I feel like it's done that so that we can uh, have easy access to baptism. You know, all we need to do is have water and be able to be immersed in it. I mean, I've seen people baptized in rivers. I've seen people baptized in man-made baptistries. Uh, I've seen people baptized in like a little metal trough outside the flagpole here at school. Uh, that happens a, uh, a lot at uh, some of the camp events uh, that are held. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it doesn't matter where, and I think God made it that way, that it's not hard to have access to how to be saved. We just simply have to seek it out and, um, you know, learn his word uh, in a spiritual sense, not, you know, go on a gallivanting quest physically. 
And I think it's also really, really about humility, right? Like, like we said, God could have made us do anything to try and remove our sins. Because as we, as we, as we talked about earlier in the season, God has authority over us. He is perfect. He is divine. And we are very much not perfect and very much not divine. And so because of the authority that God has over us, he could say whatever he wanted in order for us to obtain salvation. He could have commanded a pilgrimage like uh, some other religions command. For instance, you have to go get baptized in the Jordan River or something of that nature. He could have commanded that, but he didn't. That's true. That's a very good point. But, you know, like I, like I was saying, it, it comes down to humility, right? This is your way of showing God that, God, I'm going to put my life in your hands. God, I'm going to give up everything and follow you, right? I, I think of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, you know what's really amazing about baptism is that it really just, it's a picture of Jesus' death on the cross, right? Uh, and especially his resurrection. That's the key part, right? So when Jesus, he was, he was on the cross and then he died and he was buried in the tomb. And then after three days, he rose again. The same thing uh, symbolically happens when we're baptized. Before we're baptized, we're like Christ on the cross. We're up there and we're just waiting to die. And then we go into the waters of baptism. We're buried in the waters of baptism. Like it says in, uh, in Romans chapter 6, I believe. And when we are removed from the water, when we're pulled back up, it's not us who's living anymore. The old Isaiah is dead and good riddance. We are to walk and newness of life. That's Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. We're not supposed to be the same person that we were 10 minutes ago. When we're baptized, we are giving our life up to Christ because he gave his life for us. I don't think I could put it any better than that. That was pretty good right there. Amen. Very good. Uh, we got nothing left to say about that. Yes, baptism is essential. <laughs> baptism is absolutely essential. It is what forgives you of sins. There's nothing else that can forgive you of sins. Uh, try as you want. You can search the scriptures, but nothing else ever was able to remove sins except for the waters of baptism that represented the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. So now that we've talked about that, one of the questions that a lot of people have to ask about baptism, once they understand that baptism is essential, one of the questions that they ask is, who should be baptized? And I'll open that up to to you guys, who should be baptized? Yeah. Uh, well, one of the uh, first ones that we see a lot, especially in the more uh, denominational realms, uh, is infants being baptized. And, old, and that comes from, and that stems off of some other uh, doctrines about, um, you know, man being born sinful and all that stuff, which we can't really get into at this point. But... Um, many people believe that infants should be baptized. And not only do we not, one thing I always think of just right off the bat, we don't really see any instances of infants being baptized in Scripture. It's always adults or close to adults or people of mature age. And uh, a lot of that wraps around the fact of you have to understand what's going on. You have to understand... Um, why you are being baptized you have to and it kind of comes down to all the other steps that are required also with salvation not just baptism you know belief you know a infant can't believe in anything it doesn't really understand that concept its brain does not understand a concept and you know repent you know what does a baby even have to repent of uh it doesn't even know that it's doing wrong so that's just a couple of reasons right off the bat that i think of of why a infant really can't be baptized. I mean, technically, you can you can put a baby in water, but I mean, it's the same as getting dunked in a pool. It doesn't right. do anything. Right. 
You bring up a really good point, Edison, and that is that baptism needs to be a conscious choice, right? I was, I was talking about earlier how baptism is, the, is your way of showing God that you're committed to him, that you're dedicated to serving him. And as you mentioned, Edison, baptism is not the only necessary step for salvation, right? You, uh, we have to, of course, hear the word, and then we have to believe that, you know, what God has said is true, and then we have to repent of our sins. And I think it's really important to look at what a sin is again. You know, we, we kind of described it in the beginning of the episode as uh, something that goes against God's law. And I think it's very important to point out that it's a choice that you make to go against God. It's a choice to choose what is wrong over what is righteous, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of the job of parents is to teach a child what is right and what is wrong. And I'm very thankful for my parents for giving me the foundation that they did, teaching me what is right and what is wrong, the things that I should do and the things that I should never do. Infants don't know that, right? Young children don't understand what's right and wrong. They're still learning that. They're still trying to grasp that. And so when you baptize an infant, first of all, normally they don't even baptize, they sprinkle, which is something we'll get into later uh, so that's, but that's a whole other can of worms. But the point is infants aren't making that choice for themselves, right? It's something that their parents are doing and they're, they will, they mean well, right? They're trying to do what's best for their child. And that's admirable. They're, they're trying to make sure that their child is right with God. And that's what all parents need to do, but they're not going about it the right way because the child is not really involved. It's not the child's choice. You know, it's, it, it's not something that, you know, a three-month-old is going to say, Dad, I want to get baptized. He can't, he, he can't say any of those words yet. He doesn't he, know any words. Right, exactly. So it's, <laughs> bless you. <laughs> so, the, but the point is, you know, baptism needs to be a conscious choice on the person who's being baptized. That's what's important. That's why infants shouldn't be baptized. Because mm-hmm. at that point, you're giving them a bath. And one thing that also comes to mind, and this is a bit more prevalent in um, some other denominations as well, but another reason why perhaps an infant might be baptized or a uh, younger child uh, would be baptized is oftentimes because in some cultures, baptism isn't just viewed as, was not, or some denominations, baptism is viewed as the only way to join society, which obviously isn't the right reasons. We've kind of discussed that a little bit already to be baptized, but that's why a child will be baptized so it can be a part of society with the parents. Right. You know, we mentioned earlier about, you know, sometimes someone is baptized so that they can be a member of a particular congregation. And while it's true that while you, uh, while, when, when you are baptized, you are you, you do become a member of the Lord's church. Uh, excuse my stuttering there, but when you are baptized, you do become a member of the Lord's church. But that should not be the primary reason for getting baptized. The primary reason for getting baptized is to have your sins washed away. Yes, you do receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as we see in Acts 2.38. Yes, you do become a member of the Lord's church, the Lord's body, when you are baptized. But that is an added bonus. The reason that you need to be baptized is because you recognize that you are a dirty sinner and that only God and only Christ can take away your sins. And it's only through the waters of baptism. Alrighty, well, I think, I think that about sums up everything that we wanted to say about uh, the baptism of infants. Uh, it's a really interesting concept, the idea of original sin. And like I, Edison said, we're not really going to get into that. But something else that other people within the denominational world believe, especially, I believe, in one or two major denomination, de- denominations, is that you can baptize someone for the sins of someone else, uh, usually someone who has died. And so what they do with this, from my understanding, is they will have a list of names who were never baptized when they were alive. And they will bring someone and they will baptize that person for the sins of someone else. So, for instance, if uh, for, for the purpose of the analogy, pretend I'm dead. And 
Walker. Wait, you're still talking. Hey, don't worry about that part. <laughs> it's the ghost. <laughs> spirit. The Holy Spirit. Anyway, anyway. So for the purpose of this analogy, I am dead. And I was never baptized. So they may come to you, Walker, and say, Hey, Walker, we know you were close with Isaiah. You know, we were, you, were, you were friends with Isaiah. He was never baptized. Would you be willing to be baptized for him so that his sins could be forgiven? And of course, Walker being a good friend, Walker wanting to help me, he would probably do that if he, you know, didn't understand the, uh, the, I, what, was, what was being practiced there. Are you sure? Well, I would hope so. <laughs> but, any, but regardless, but the point is that, you know, they're, they're trying to make sure that as many people get to heaven as possible. And that's admirable. But they're going about it the wrong way. Because when they baptize someone for someone else's sins, that accomplishes nothing. As we talked about with infant baptism, it has to be an individual conscious choice to follow God. You can't follow God if you're dead, right? If you never followed God while you were alive and then someone was baptized in your name, that, that accomplishes nothing, right? And they, and they really base this off of one ber- verse in 1 Corinthians, which I neglected to write down. But it's the only time in Scripture that the, that the term baptism for the dead is used. And Paul's not, <laughs> Paul's not in favor of it. So what, the, uh, what, they, what they're trying to do is say that you can be baptized for someone else's sins. And that just takes away the entire point of baptism. It's your own conscious choice. It's your own decision to follow God. And, and, you know, when they do that, they really take away the whole idea of free will, which is something that is really, really important to Christians and, and for, uh, for Christian doctrine. The idea of free will is that God has created us to make our own decisions. God has laid out a two paths that we can choose to do on this life, and we can only do one. We can either follow God or we can follow the world. Those are the only two choices. Either, either we're following God or we're following the world. And God is letting us make that choice. God wants us to be saved. God wants us to be with him in heaven. But he's going to let us make that choice for ourselves. And so when you baptize someone for the sins of someone else, if that worked, which again, it can't because that takes away the whole purpose of baptism. But if that worked, you're removing the free will aspect of this life. You know, the, the Bible says that, you know, wide is the path and, and broad is the way of destruction and many people will go on it. And that's upsetting. And obviously we need to do a better job of, of evangelizing to make sure that that number of wide and broad is, is not as many as it could be. But it's a choice that people have to make. You know, we, we, we joke sometimes about, you know, if someone's not willing to, to listen to God, that we'll just throw them in the baptistry. And that's funny to us, but it shouldn't be because it, does, it would do nothing. Not, o- not only would it not help that person spiritually, but it would probably make them angry, would make them upset that we just threw them in a baptistry without their permission. And that would drive them away from ever being interested in God again. And so the idea of baptizing someone for the dead, it just doesn't make any sense. It removes the purpose of baptism, and it removes the free will aspect that God has created in us. And something that just kind of comes to mind, especially considering what we were talking about a minute ago, um, you know, we talked about how baptism is a spiritual act. It's not a physical act. It doesn't matter, you know, where you're baptized or, and whatnot. Baptism is a spiritual act. act. It's for the soul not for the body, the physical body. In the case of a dead person, that soul is gone. That soul is, you know, wherever it is. If it's not baptized, then I don't know, want to know where it is. But that soul's not there. The person who's getting baptized in their stead, that's a different soul. Mm-hmm. That's someone else entirely. So you can't use... You can't, baptism doesn't mean anything if the person doesn't have the soul of the person being baptized. So it just, it really just kind of falls apart in that thing as that soul's long gone. You're not getting it back once the person who you're getting baptized for is dead. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point, Edison. 
I think that about sums up everything that we wanted to say on that subject as well. You know, just to really reemphasize it, you uh, you have to make a conscious choice when you are being baptized. It's a decision that you are making based on your knowledge of God, based on your knowledge of your sins. It's not something that someone else can do for you, whether that's you know someone you don't even know or your parents or a friend. It doesn't matter. It has to be your conscious choice. It has to be your uh, your decision to follow God and Babies can't make that choice. Dead people can't make that choice. Only you can. Only you can. Exactly. And now we, uh, we, we're going to discuss some uh, or how we should be baptized because, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that people think that you can be baptized. I mean, that's whenever we get into the sprinkling and the, the dunking and um, all the other methods that they come up with these days on how, on how you could be baptized. But Scripture only outlines one way to be baptized and that's by full immersion um full immersion in water and did i say i have a thought here i thought i saw his finger go up or no did, did you yes talk? yes okay. sorry yeah so the idea of full immersion in in water again that goes back to the the imagery of jesus being buried in the tomb mm-hmm. right so that's a very important imagery to have there uh, it's very important symbolic uh symbolically but also, every time that we see someone being baptized, we don't see sprinkling. We see full immersion. Uh, Addison, you've studied this more than I can, but the Greek word baptizo, really, it, it means full immersion. Mm-hmm. Yes, the word baptizo means full immersion, which rules out, you know, obviously we know pretty easily what full immersion means. It means completely submerged under the water. So baptizo in, when it is used in the New Testament, which it is used in pretty much every instance of baptism, we get the word baptism from baptizo. It's, a, it's almost a direct um, uh, gathered from that word. So, yeah, definitely that is what it means. So whenever you see baptism in the New Testament, it's going to be talking about that. It's going to be talking about getting immersed. And it, it's interesting to talk, to talk about full immersion because— you know, the two accounts that pop to my mind right away when, when talking about this, you know, there, there's the first one of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And for context of the story, we see a man who is a, what we call a Jewish proselyte, which is someone who was not born a Jew, but who still follows the Jewish religion. But because he was not born Jewish and because he was also a eunuch, there were certain things that he were, was not able to do in Jewish religion. But regardless of that, he, he comes from Ethiopia to Jerusalem by chariot, a far distance to travel anywhere, but especially on a chariot. And we see that he's coming back from Jerusalem after trying to worship at the temple. And again, he wasn't really allowed to because of his race and because of his uh, status in the Ethiopian uh, nation. But for, anyway, he's coming back from Jerusalem and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And he's trying to figure out what it's saying. And the Holy Spirit kind of guides Philip, the evangelist, into uh, an encounter with this eunuch. And Philip teaches him the gospel. And then we see in Acts chapter 8, uh, let, me, let me pull up the verse real quick. Acts chapter 8, uh, Acts, Acts chapter 8 and verse 36 or excuse me, verse 35. We'll start with verse 35. Uh, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, the passage in Isaiah that the eunuch was reading, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So what's interesting about the story to me is that we can see, not necessarily clearly, but we can see implied all of the steps of salvation that we talked about earlier. This man has clearly heard the gospel. He's heard about the uh, at least the Jewish religion. So he's heard that, and then Philip comes and he teaches it. 
So he's heard the gospel and he clearly believes in it. Otherwise, why would he react the way that he reacted? And he recognized that he needed to repent and he confesses that Christ is Lord. And then they go down into the water. You know, something that I've heard about the story is that, it, of course, it was a long journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. I don't remember how long off the top of my head, but it was a long journey. You really think the eunuch was going to travel without any water through Palestine in that day and age? He must have had water at somewhere in his chariot. We're not told that in the scriptures, but it, it makes logical sense to say that he would have had water on his chariot. If sprinkling was what was required, then why couldn't have Philip just sprinkled him in the chariot? Why did they have to stop at a pool of water? And secondly, I've, I've seen some images where Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and obviously, you know, it's a, it's a cartoon. It's not like a photo or anything. But it's, it's, an, it's a cartoon image of Philip and the eunuch in the water, waist deep in the water, and Philip is sprinkling him. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why would they go down into the water if they were just going to sprinkle? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. I think one thing you talked uh, a little bit ago about how, you know, it is symbolic, you know, of the death, burial, and resurrection. If I were to take a little bit of dirt and sprinkle it over your head, Isaiah, would you be buried? No. No, you wouldn't even be close. You're, you would be it – would, it would take a million sprinkles to, get, to bury you. So how can it be a burial for that? And also, just uh, one thing I looked up right quick. It is apparently 4,109 kilometers from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Yeah, and uh, our producer – also did the math, but he put it into American for us. Uh, so that's a r- roughly about 2,330 miles. Uh, is that one way? Okay, so that's, that's one way. So that's, you know, over 2,000 miles one way that this guy traveled just to not even be able to step in the temple. Hmm. So side note, you know, it's not really what we're focusing on in this passage, but the dedication this man had to religion that he wasn't even really allowed to be a part of because of his culture, because of his race, it's amazing. And I think we can take a lot from that. Uh, but like you were saying, Edison, to get us back on topic, baptism is a burial. It's a full immersion. Right? And I really like the analogy that you, that you brought up with, with the dirt. Right? You know, we, we understand that in order to bury something in dirt... It cannot just be with a little bit of dirt. It has to be enough dirt to fully cover it. I don't understand why we can't see that same principle with the scriptures. And then there's, there's one more thing that I want to bring up about this before we move on. Uh, in John chapter 3, right after Jesus has that whole conversation with Nicodemus about you must be born again, we see that he and his disciples, uh, Jesus, Jesus and his disciples go to Judea where John the Baptist was baptizing. And it says in John chapter 3 and verse 23 that he was baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. Why in the world would he need to go to this town where water was plentiful if he was just sprinkling? All you need is a well, technically. Exactly. Not even that. You could get a bucket and, you know, just dip and dip and sprinkle but he's not doing that he's going to a place where there's much water because it's a full immersion so that's how to be baptized we talked about who should be baptized that's a it's a conscious choice or decision by the part of the individual we talked about how someone should be baptized and of course it's, it's dunking it's full immersion it is not sprinkling so we've got one last question to answer on this on the subject and that is Who has the authority to baptize? Who should be able to baptize someone when they know how to be baptized, when they understand why they're being baptized? Who can baptize people? I think scripture here is a little bit gray in this area. I don't think there is a clear black and white uh, answer in scripture. And so this is one of those things that... um, that we don't have the full answer for, I don't think. Um, but what I do think is I think that any 
person who has already went through the process of salvation, who has who's already committed their life to to Christ through baptism. I think they are able to teach and to baptize other people from my studying of Scripture. Um, and so, I don't know what y'all may think on the subject, but I, I don't think Scripture is clear and definite on only this type of person can baptize someone. And the old in the old law, Old Testament, there was specific stipulations to this, but in the new law, we don't see anything related to that matter. We do see. Uh, throughout scripture, if you look at examples of baptism, we only see that a man is doing it. However, like uh, Walker just mentioned, we don't have a specific men can only baptize, you know, unlike maybe some of the other more specific commandments that are given throughout the Old and New Testament. So, yeah, it is kind of a bit of a gray area in that regard. And Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer because, like you said, we don't really have a, a thou shall or a thou shalt not. Right? When we have a thou shalt or a thou shalt not in Scripture, it makes it easy for us to understand what it is that we should or should not do. But we don't have that with the New Testament, with, with the, eyes, uh, with the uh, significance of baptism there. Right. But we do have this example, like Edison talked about. Yeah. We only see men baptizing people. At least we're, the only times that we're told who baptized who, it's a male. Right? Like we were talking about with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, Paul mentions that he baptized Crispus and Gaius in the city of Corinth and also the household of Sothenes. Uh, we, we see uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 8 before the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip is in Samaria and he's baptizing. We see that John the Baptist baptized, of course, as per his name. But the, the point is that we only see men doing it. So could you be baptized by a woman? And I don't know. I don't, I don't know because God has not revealed that to us. I, I, I'm going to add in a thought here if that's all right. Go for it. Um, and that is, I think if there is a male present who is eligible to do it, I think he should do it. But I think if there is no man available and willing to do it at the time, then I think it would be acceptable for the woman to do it because... I don't think this is something that we should wait on in a sense. And so um, I, I think if there's, uh, if there's a male present who is willing and able to do it, they should definitely be willing to take over. But um, this is one of those things where you got to sort of just use your best judgment and go, I'd agree with Walker's opinion, but I think something that, you know, in terms of who is the authority to baptize, you know, it is a believer, but I feel like, um, who is doing the baptism in the end, as long as it is a baptized believer, isn't really important. Right. It, it depends on who's being baptized. And I feel like we as a oftentimes can get caught up in who is baptizing us. You know, um, we want the preacher to baptize us or whatever. Or maybe, or maybe we want, you know, our dad to baptize us. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, we get so focused on that. It's kind of similar uh, to the attitude that was held by some of the Corinthians uh, in First Corinthians, how they were all, you know, prescribing to who had, who they were following. You know, I'm a follower of Paul, or oh, I'm a follower of Apollos. And I think something else we need to be careful of is not having the baptizee, if you've ever baptized someone, not letting that get to your head. You know, you're not really the one, you know, who's important here. Um, an example I know of, uh, this is someone who um, I used to know. Basically, what he would do is he would um, he was obsessed with getting basically the credit of baptizing someone. So what he would do is he would, you know, talk with the gospel about someone and convince them to be baptized. And then he would like sneak into the church building in the dead of night and not tell anyone and baptize that person in secret and then reveal it later because he just wanted, really, he wanted the credit of baptizing people. And that's not the attitude that we should have. Mm -hmm. It, it, sh it shouldn't be about the person who's doing the baptizing. I, I agree with you guys on that. I, I definitely agree with Walker that I think it's it's probably better just to be safe than sorry. If there is a, a man present, if, if he is you know able to do it, then I think he should do it. And I agree with Walker that if there's not a man present, it's not something worth waiting for, right? Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not we're not even guaranteed today. Okay. We don't know when our time is going to come. We don't know if the Lord's going to come before the day ends. 
it's not worth it's not something worth waiting over uh so yeah it, it's definitely more about the person who's being baptized right it's their decision to give their life to god and and obviously you know the, the three of us here uh, who have been doing the talking have you know we've all been baptized and you know, we, we try to be evangelistic and, and help people understand that baptism is essential for salvation. But it's not about us, right? And, and I think, you know, and some people will try to use the argument that, well, Paul said that he didn't want to baptize anybody in 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pull up that scripture now while I'm thinking about it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, I'll start in verse 10. Uh, well, hang on. I'll, I'll I'll pull the verse out of context like they do, and then uh, who does? What? Well, like like some people who oh, okay. uh, who may not really understand what's going on. So they'll use First Corinthians chapter one and verse seventeen as a end all standalone argument that Paul did not think baptism was essential. Uh, and what First Corinthians chapter one and seventeen says, uh, Paul says, "For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel." And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So they really focus on that first part, that Paul was sent to preach, not baptize. But as Edison mentioned, that was for a reason. And if you look at the previous verses, if you look at verses 10 through 16, what's going on there is that Paul, and, the, and the, one of the biggest reasons that he's writing this letter to the church of Corinth, well, they, they had a lot of problems, but one of the biggest problems was that there was this division, this disunity within the church at Corinth. And as Edison was mentioning, there were sects, there were, there were cliques of people who were like, well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Jesus. Well, I follow Peter. And it's just all of these warring factions that were splitting the church. And Paul says, you know, I'm thankful that I didn't baptize most of you guys. I baptized Crispus and Gaius and the household of Sosthenes. Or, or Stephanaeus, depending on your translation. But he's, he's thankful that he didn't baptize more of them because what would have happened? Well, they would have, their heads would have swollen, okay. right? They would have said, well, I was baptized by Paul the Apostle. He's so cool. He's like the chief apostle. So that must mean I'm a better Christian than someone who was baptized by Apollos. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it was this, it was splitting the church because people were, were warring factions and Paul says, I'm glad I didn't start that. I'm glad I didn't, you know, open up that door. Paul never said that baptism wasn't essential. He was just glad that he wasn't the one doing it because it's, because it, it's not about the person baptizing. It's about the person being baptized. It's their choice. It's their life to, you know, and it's their decision to give their life to Christ, to live for Christ. It's not about the person who's being baptized. Yeah. Or excuse me, sorry, I misspoke. It's not about the person who is baptizing. It's about the person who is being baptized. Yeah, yeah. Um, be careful there with your, your, your saying that. And have this five-minute discussion about how it's important to focus on the person who is being baptized and then just one... Contradicting your whole Contradicting whole not, not intentionally, I just misspoke. I apologize. That's what happens whenever you get too passionate about a topic. My uh, my brain was not as quick as my mouth, unfortunately. Happens to all of us. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, moving on. Um, the heart of one being baptized is what's important. Uh, I think we sort of just hit on that a little bit. Um, and, uh, and then we also hit on uh, only men baptizing in the scriptures, so biblical examples. So is there anything else that we need to add regarding to baptism? Anything that we forgot to address that we feel like is important? I mean. Baptism is absolutely essential. Right. Let me start with that. Yeah. Something that I've noticed, especially within the church, is that we may be pushing that on people who aren't ready. Because not only is baptism, you know, saying, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be with God in heaven. But you're signing a lifetime contract with God. You're saying, God, I'm going to follow you the rest of my days. And there's been some families that I know that, you know, whether consciously or unconsciously, their children may have been baptized too soon. Uh, and I'll give you an example. There was a family that moved into my home congregation uh, just before I came to Freed for my first semester. 
uh, young family, young kids, probably eight, nine, ten, or ten years old. And the wife was not baptized. The husband had been, but the wife was not yet baptized, and none of the children were. And my, my father, uh, the minister of this congregation, he was trying to set up a time to study with, with the wife, and, and then, you know, from there he would talk with them about the children. But this family, you know, for, for reasons that they didn't make privy to us, they went ahead and did it without the study, which, again, baptism isn't something that you, you should wait for, but it's also something that you need to make sure that you're ready for. Uh, and so they went ahead and baptized the wife and at least one of the children. And I remember sitting in front of them one Sunday morning, and we were doing the Lord's Supper, which is, of course, the remembrance uh, ceremony of the Lord's death. And one of the elders, I believe, was up front, you know, presiding over the Lord's table. And he, he made mention of the fact that this is, you know, the body and the blood of Christ. Not obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a symbolic gesture, but, you know, those are the terms that we use. And I, this, this small child who just been baptized behind me just goes, I don't want to drink blood. And, you know, that's, it's kind of a funny story, but it's also sad because I'm not sure that he understood what he was getting into when he was baptized. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's something that I want to say before we close is that, yes, baptism is absolutely essential. Do not question, uh, you know, don't don't question that. Right. Baptism is absolutely essential for salvation. But it's something that you need to make sure that you're ready to do before you're baptized. Yeah, I would I would kind of add on to that. Always study first, you know, get someone to study with you. You know, if you're thinking that to make sure you know what you're getting into. And I know one thing that also happens sometimes is, you know, we sometimes wonder, you know, should we, you know, was I truly baptized for the right reasons? And obviously that can only be done through scripture and whatnot. But one thing that I've also helped with, and I kind of recommend every new Christian does this, and I think a lot do, is, you know, sometimes we can get in our own heads on that and kind of think that, you know, was I really, you know, in the right mindset? So one thing that I did and I kind of recommend is write down why you were baptized write down why you were baptized put it in a safe place put it in a safe or something so that you always have it and then what you can do is if you ever have those doubts you can look at that and be like okay either a you'll see oh so i knew what i was doing then or b you look at it and be like hmm maybe i wasn't necessarily baptized for the remissions of my sins and then you can go take the steps from there Well, what a great discussion that we've had today over baptism, sprinkling, and holy water. And just to sort of summarize everything up as we, um, as we close out this lesson, or as we close not this lesson, but as we close out this discussion, um, is you know we we discussed that yes, baptism is essential. Um, yes, we we need to have it in order to gain our salvation. But we also discussed the idea that there's nothing in the water that makes it holy. There's nothing in the water that makes it special. It is simply the act of doing it. Um, and it shows our obedience to Christ because whenever we do, uh, whenever we follow through with the uh, act of baptism, it recreates uh, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we are burying our lives in Christ, uh, our, our old life of sin. We're putting that to death. And we're being raised to walk in newness of life so we can remain, so we can strive to remain a faithful Christian. Um, and we address the idea that there's really no other way to be baptized except through full immersion because Scripture and the examples that it provides and just in logical sense and breaking down the word of baptism, we see that sprinkling would not fulfill uh, the um, – fulfill the requirements for salvation because uh we see throughout scripture that whenever people were baptized they they took the extra effort to go to a full body of water and to be fully immersed and so it wouldn't make sense for us to change that in any way shape or form because that's how scripture has outlined it we discussed the idea that we're not really sure on who should baptize or who should baptize someone else. We do know the fact that it should be a baptized believer who baptizes who baptizes a non 
believing person, but we we don't have a specific answer, and Scripture does not give us a black and white answer on whether uh, a, a female can baptize someone or it can be male and female. But our suggestion to everyone is that if there is a male present at the time of someone wanting to get baptized, then we would let we would suggest that the male does it just to be on the safe side. But in the case that there is no male present, we uh, we believe in our humble study that. Uh, it is okay for the female to do it in that instance. And, of course, these things that we talked about today may raise a lot of questions, and we want to hear your questions, and we want to hear your concerns, and we want to hear your opinions on this topic. So that's why we have a variety of ways that you can get in contact with us. Um, And one of those ways is through social media, uh, our Facebook page and Instagram page. If you haven't heard it before, you'll hear it again. And that is uh, Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast on Facebook, T-T-E-O-J underscore podcast on Instagram. Um, we also have a Twitter, but I mean, I'm sure who's on Twitter these days, um, but T-T-E-O-J underscore podcast. Um, and so you can follow us there as well. We also have a website, T-T-E-O-J.com. We're working on a TikTok, so that'll be fun. And um, we are, uh, and we also have a, a phone number, 731-439-9671. So a variety of ways you can reach out to us. Um, the easiest way is through social media and text message um, because we are college students, so we may break the rules and text you back during class or email you back during class, um, but that's the easiest way. Phone calling us may not be your best option because we are in class all day, and teachers like to keep us busy. So <clears throat> nonetheless, uh, reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We love hearing from our viewers. It makes our day. Um, and we hope that this uh, discussion has been beneficial to you. I'm thankful for the guys that joined me today. They always do such a great job, especially Isaiah and Edison, discussing this topic of uh, baptism, sprinkling, and holy water, and we pray that it is beneficial to you as well. Guys, let's end in a prayer together. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together, and we thank you for uh, your word and everything that is in it. Uh, We're thankful for what Scripture has to say regarding baptism, and we're thankful that you've made it clear to us that it is essential uh, for baptism to, to, in order to be saved. And we pray that those who are listening to this uh, episode can understand that and uh, and believe what your word has to say regarding it. We pray that those who have not made the decision to put you on in baptism will consider where they're at in their life and think about uh, the decision and hopefully make the right decision very soon in regards to their salvation as well. We pray that um, we we pray that we can be your hands and your feet and help guide them in the direction that they need to go. And we pray that your word will shine through us and that they can hear what they must do and believe it and be willing to do all those things in order to turn away from their sins and put you on uh, through baptism. Be with us, strengthen us, and guide us in only ways that you know how. It's in your son's name we pray.